Welcome back to Mouthpiece. I am One Bang Dan, Savage Dan. I'm Paulie, the magic man, Malanaji. And you are tuned in to the best YouTube boxing show. Um, as always, stay tuned. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, all of that. Give us questions. And speaking of questions, last week we had a question from Zachary Corbin, which was, when Paulie stopped Senchenko to win his second world title, we all expected him to go out there and get robbed. What were, the what were the scorecards at the time of the stoppage? Were they going to rob him? I don't know what the scorecards were. Do you? Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I know the scorecards. Yeah, the, I was told. I, was, I stopped Senchenko around nine. At the time of the stoppage, I was ahead on two cards by two points, and I was behind on one card by two points. So there was still time to rob me if they would have let the last four rounds go by. But Sanchenko was kind of fading. So if Sanchenko would not have got stopped, he would have caught a bad beating. He would have earned the robbery. <laughs> he would have earned the. He would have earned gotten to keep his belt and they would have robbed me for those last four rounds. But I, I managed did, to stop Did him. you feel like you needed the stoppage going out? Obviously, you were fighting in, I'm in not, Ukraine. I'm not a guy that had a lot of stoppages in my career. Uh, so I, I kind of knew that if I go out and try to, get, try to force things and get a stoppage, I'm going to fight outside my best style. In which case, I could wind up getting beat outright. I could wind up getting myself beat for real, you know, because I'm not fighting my fight. So I just, uh, I just told myself, go out there, fight the best fight possible that I can to the best of my ability, have the best training camp. Don't think about the result. Uh, I, I did feel I was going to get robbed, but just don't think about it. Um, let let That way you leave them knowing that you could fight your ass off, you know, and that's kind of what I did, and it wound up getting me to a stoppage. Ironically, the guy that I that had Senchenko ahead, he was a judge that I had complained about to the WBA, and I didn't want him on the panel of judges for the fight. Jean-Louis Leglond was a guy from France who had refereed a, like six or seven Senchenko fights in the Ukraine. It was just so odd that it was the same constant guy from a different country that they'd constantly bring in for this guy's title defenses. So I just didn't trust it. I didn't. I didn't feel like uh, it, it, it. It just seemed really fishy to me, and uh, they wouldn't remove him. So uh, I had no choice. I had to also, you know, uh, just deal with Leglon being one of the three judges, and uh, he did prove me right. He he had me uh, he had me behind in the, in the fight when uh, when the fight That's was stopped. That's crazy. It's it's crazy. You know, it's it's just meant to be a judge. You know, yeah. you should be able to have them removed if, if you don't feel like they're going to score the fight correctly. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one even better. Then six months later, when Sinchenko knocked out Hatton, Leglon was in Manchester. He was one of the judges for that fight too. <laughs> <laughs> this guy would go would judge all the Sinchenko fights. It was so so fishy. It almost feels like some judges have their scorecard filled out before they even sit down. Um, in terms of your training camps, you, you won two world titles. Were they different? The camps? Did you have to prepare differently? Obviously, it's, it's different preparations for different fighters. But is there any any vivid difference that that you felt um, you had to make? Were they different is, different ways of winning those world titles? Um. Well, with Sinchenko, the fight was in the Ukraine, so I had to adjust myself to the to time difference. And in my career, when I would have fights in Europe, I would uh, tend to finish training camp in Italy because I have a base in Italy uh, with family and friends. So I would I would finish the training camp in Italy and then head over to the country I was fighting. I did that when I fought Endo in the rematch in uh, in the Etihad Stadium in Manchester. I finished camping in, in uh, Italy first, and then I did that same thing uh, when I fought for the WBA title with uh, Senchenko, I also finished camp in Italy before heading over to the Ukraine, just so I would have my uh, the, the, the time difference uh, sort of settled into my body and having, had, having trained with that s different time zone uh, and having been used to it, you know, because that, that jet lag can kind of wear on you a little bit. So I just wa always wanted to 
uh, be prepared for that. Other than that, it was just specific tactics, the same thing. You know, uh, we did some strength training, tactical stuff. Um, everybody's different. Every opponent's different, so you, the tactical stuff can vary. But the strength training and all the other stuff, you know, it's uh, it comes with the territory. It's a training camp. Speaking of world championships, uh, we may as well review this weekend's results. Dillian White, he has his world championship hopes back on track after stopping uh, Povetkin in the fourth round. A dominant display. I, I still can't work out if he if he fought better this time than he did the first time because I, I had him actually boxing very nicely in the first fight. Um, but this was um, just almost total destruction from the first round, you know? It, it seemed like Povetkin was going to have a little bit of, of, of spurts during the exchanges. Nothing seemed to land. And Dillian just seemed to manhandle him and, and bully him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Dillian uh, always brings that violent temperament into the ring um and um, i was sort of wondering if uh after having suffered a knockout like this if he'd have sec if he'd be second guessing himself a little bit with that kind of psychology to bring that kind of fight to somebody because when you bring that kind of fight to somebody you also open yourself up for those kind of big shots but i've seen you know dillian is a uh, one of the best fighters in the world but he's taken uh now it's two bad knockouts to where sometimes you take just one of those knockouts and and you it changes you psychologically as a fighter it changes your approach and Dillian shows his mental fortitude. Dillian shows his mental strength because he, he never doubted himself after the Joshua KO. And it seemed like in the Povetkin KO, again, he came out and he came out uh, full confidence. Was he a little more tactical? I mean, possibly. Uh, but I saw Povetkin trying to get in his head too. They were both kind of throwing some violent shots right away early on. But I don't think Povetkin with his old legs ever recovered. There was a shot. I, don't, I think it was round one or two. There was a shot where they were both throwing right hands at the same time. And White's landed, and Povetkin kind of went over the top. And from yeah. I felt like from that moment, I felt like from that moment on, uh, Povetkin kind of um, it was the doubt started seeping into Povetkin a little bit, you know, where he'd ha he'd realize like this would be another tough night, and he was if he was gonna pull it out of the bag, he'd have to really pull it out of the bag despite getting beaten up on. Uh, like he did in the first fight, and I don't think he was ready to do that. Uh, Povetkin's always a durable guy, but he's getting up there in age, and you can't keep fighting these kind of fights. I mean, let's face it, Povetkin won the first fight, but Dillian beat him up, you know, um, yeah. and um, Dillian beat him up again this time. So uh, you start to, uh, there, there seems to be more, more and more dense in the armor, so to speak, of a guy's chin and a guy's, a guy's ability to take that kind of punishment. Povetkin has obviously been world-class in his career, he can probably still take on some mid-level guys, but uh, Dillian showed what that uh, you know he's uh, he's above that level, and uh, I'm curious to see about Dillian, man. I mean, I don't think this guy's yet full for a world championship. Correct me if I'm wrong, Dan. I mean, it's it to me it's crazy nope. that this guy's not yet full for a world championship. <laughs> it, yeah, in an era where we have four, in an era where we have four major world titles, Dillian White is not full for a major world championship yet. It's it's almost criminal yeah, to me. Yeah, he was number one mandatory for I think 600 days, um, and obviously. He's going to be hoping that that gets reinstated at some point. WBC will have something else to say about it, I'm sure. Does it help coming back off a knockout loss when you're a bit nuts? So, for example, someone who's very logical and just, you know, your average human being will naturally be a little bit careful, maybe a bit wary, um, maybe, you know, just, just fight a slightly different fight to the one that got them out, knocked out, perhaps, you know, the, in the first fight. Dillian doesn't strike anyone as the normal human being. He kind of does what he wants when he wants. You don't really know what version of Dillian you're going to get. Does that help in terms of mentality going into a rematch like that? 
Well, first of all, you you talked about does it help being a little bit nuts? I think anybody who does this combat for a living has to be a little bit nuts and has to be a little bit <laughs> something off to want to to do that day in and day out in your life and and you know make your living doing that. Um, but having said that, do I think Dillian has has a little bit more nutsness to him, so to speak, if that's a word? Um, yeah, I think um, in a complimentary way, yeah, because you it's natural in order to start doubting yourself coming off of knockouts like that. And Dillian has has lost by knockout in a big way two times. But if you look at both times he's fought those fights, he was doing well in both fights. You know, that I think the AJ fight was a, a competitive uh, a competitive fight. I think he'd actually hurt AJ a couple of rounds before that pretty badly. So I think uh, when a fighter is mentally strong, maybe a little more nuts if we call it that, um, I think he also knows how to take the positive out of the negative that might have happened. And I think Dillian, there's a lot of positive to take in both of the bad knockouts that he suffered uh, in, the, in the defeats that he took. And I think from that aspect, it's clear that he knows how to compartmentalize things and say, okay, this happened, but also this, this, and this happened, which was very good for me, and I can still take this going forward. And I think he's done that, and I think he did that yet again in the Povetkin fight because it's natural to for those doubts to seep in. And it's natural for us as, as commentators and as analysts, as fans, to wonder if that's going to bother a fighter because every time we see that, most of the time a fighter is bothered, you know, um, even with even with myself, I don't think I was the same again psychologically after I lost the Sean Porter fight. You know, so so I I think that um, you know the approach uh, it kind of wears on you a little bit. Sometimes it's a mixture with age too and just having had a lot of tough fights. But clearly, Dillian has uh, a lot of hunger and desire and passion still left in there. And I think a lot of that also stems from the fact that he's never fought for a world championship and he and he's probably deserved two. And um, it probably burns a little bit uh, stronger within him. World title is obviously going to be round the corner for him at some point. Um, he's looking at either Deontay Wilder um, or what he's saying is he'd, he'd like to fight uh, Bryant for the regular WBA title. Can we clear this up? There seems to be so many different levels of world titles you know, you've got the diamond belt. You've got the regular title. I don't. You've I'm got not franchise. crazy. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not crazy about these B titles they come out with. You know, um, I don't think any fighter on the level of Dillian White should be um, content with calling himself a world champion if he wins a B title. I think uh, there are B world champ. There are B world championships, so to speak, um, in the WBA. Now, in the modern era of the WBA, if uh, probably the last five years, because even when I had the WBA title, the super champion was still considered a little bit differently, and it, it didn't show up in every in every every chance and every situation. It only showed up in particular situations. But now, the super champion shows up in every situation. Like you are the world champion when you are the super champion. So, I think if you are a, a B level fighter, sure you can be content with winning that belt. But otherwise, I think you should still stay hungry. I don't think uh, a fighter with of the level of Dillian White, which I consider an elite level, should be um, should be content with just holding on to a B a B version of a world championship. I think you know it's fine if he wins it on the way to the main one, but I think you know I think the the, the B level of a world title is, is for guys like uh, Bryant. You know what I mean? Uh, what's the first name? I mean, you know, it's guy, guys who you you're struggling to remember their names. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and that's not a disrespect to him. You know, he might be a pretty good fighter. Yeah. I think I've seen him fight once or twice. But but I just don't think that if you hold yourself to a certain standard, you would uh, you would 
you would consider yourself a champion if you had one of those belts. You would maybe win one on the way to a main to a main world title, but you wouldn't consider yourself a champion if you won one of those belts. And I'll give you an example again for myself. When I fought Senchenko, he was holding the main world title. At that time, the super title didn't show up unless you made five defenses of it or unless you unified it. So Senchenko was the main world champion. I would not have gone to Ukraine and risked my entire career. Uh, in that fight, if I was not if I was not fighting for the main championship, if it was the B version, I wouldn't have even bothered going to Ukraine. I would have just took another fight in the United States, you know. So, so I think uh, you hold things to a different standard, to a different level um, when they, when the common sense and logic will take you to that, you know. I understand the sanctioning bodies want to make um, sanctioning fees and they want to you know create situations where they can make more money. I get it, but in the end, I also think. If you're a world-class fighter, you hold yourself to that world-class standard, you know. And um, if Dillian wants to go and win that B version of the, of the BA title um, right now because he can't get the main fight, sure, that's fine. But he should – I don't think it should – within him, his mentality should be of that that such of, uh, oh, I'm a world champion now. I've accomplished my dream. I've accomplished my goal because, honestly, you didn't. You didn't if you went in that belt. You accomplish your dream and you accomplish your goal when you win the main ones, you know. Um and I think fighters should hold themselves to that standard. And when, the, when they don't hold them, themselves to that standard, it kind of reveals something about them too. And I don't think Dillian is like that. I think Dillian probably will take that fight just as a keep busy fight if he can't get the main ones. But I think he, he wants to you know, fight for the major world championships. The thing is, right now with Fury and, and Joshua trying to negotiate this uh, unification fight, if, if it's either one of those two guys and if they're fighting each other, you're not going to get the shot, right? So, yeah, sure, keep yourself busy. Fight Brian in the meantime. Or fight Deontay Wilder. I think that's a great fight, honestly. Deontay Wilder... And Dillian, because Dillian's violent mentality. It's a tough one, though. How many tough fights can yes, this guy have yes, in a row? It is. It is. But, man, okay, this is just the fan speaking to me. Just the fan speaking to me. You know? But just the fan speaking to me. Wilder, obviously, is a, a, there's no easy task. He's a, he's a former world champion. But you might be catching him on a, on a, on a, on a slide here. You, you're catching him coming off, you know, back-to-back performances against Fury. Where, one, let's face it, he probably got a gift. And, two, he got knocked out. Clearly, he got stopped and beaten up more than stopped. So, so you start to wonder how how much hunger is there left in a guy like that. You start. He's made a lot of money. He's living well. You start to wonder: Is he willing to go through hell in order to come out with a victory? You know, where you're willing to go through hell uh, uh, when you haven't, you know, yet accomplished so many things in order to get a, to get the victory. But when you've accomplished more, you see hell standing in front of you, and you're like, "Yeah, I'll take another door." You know, so. You know, we the psychology of Wilder. We don't know where it's at after that after yeah. that loss to Fury. So, we see where where uh, White is at. White has taken two bad losses, but he's still coming out throwing violent punches, looking to get into those exchanges. And those are the kind of punches that put Wilder out of position. Those are the kind of punches that put Wilder in these weird. Uh, uh, trying to slip and slide positions where he's crossing his feet and he's all over the place and and um, you know that's what makes people think Wilder can't fight. Wilder can really fight. Wilder can fight his ass off. But defensively, sometimes when you start to put him out of position with big punches, he he looks like he's flailing all over the place. And and White throws these kind of punches. So White can be dangerous. If White lands those punches, he's gonna hurt you. He obviously has shown that. But of course, if Wilder also puts himself in a position where he's not doing that then it's White who goes to sleep. I think it's a dangerous fight, but it's a dangerous fight for both. And I think that uh, I'd want to see it. <laughs> We're being greedy. We want it all because uh, in reality, White versus Wilder, you want a world title on, on the line, but then also Joshua versus Fury, every belt is already on the line. No, you're right. Know. You're right. You want something on the line, but I don't know, bro. It's like... You know, in the era when there was one championship, when Muhammad Ali was fighting George Foreman, were you not paying attention to Joe Frazier? 
You know what I mean? Like, you, you, mm -hmm. you know, you're still going to pay attention. These guys, these guys are world class, you know? So, okay, so Fury and Joshua. We all want to see that, too. Nobody wants to not see that. So let, let, let them make Fury and Joshua. Hopefully they can, they can uh, work, work itself out. But it, it doesn't mean I don't want to see Dillian White and Deontay Wilder. You know, they're, they're world-class guys. You know, they're, they, they've shown it. You know, Wilder's an ex-world champion. Uh, so um, I think people need to stop being brainwashed by the belts. You know, there's, there's a lot of good fighters out there, you know. And, uh, and if you, you, they, they can only fight each other one at a time. You know, they, you can't fight three guys in one night, you know. So, so while, while certain guys you are fighting. You can in a boxer tournament. You can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. It's not a boxer tournament. So, so from that perspective, um, yeah, man. Let's uh, let's do uh, Fury and AJ, and let's do um, let's do the other one on the in the meantime. Uh, White and Wilder. So there's my phone. Sorry, I got a phone call there. <laughs> cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> in the news this week, uh, more heavyweight stuff. We have a date for Tyson versus Holyfield. This is Mike Tyson, not Tyson Fury, the baddest man on the planet. Mike Tyson against Evander Holyfield, May 29th. Put your fan hat on. All right. Paulie, I, I, yeah, I mean, I can only have my fan hat on for the hat on for this one. I don't even know how to analyze right. this but, fight. No, but do you know what else? You're you're an astute businessman, so you understand the the business side of this and why it can potentially make sense. If we're talking about this just from a fan perspective, do we want to see this fight? I mean, there's always a curiosity. I mean, people today want to see anything as long as it sparks their curiosity. I mean, you got YouTube with fighting and people watch it. So, so I think I, it, anybody wants to really spark their curiosity. But from a personal perspective, there's been a lot of love and respect for each other since the whole bite fight incident and whatnot, right? But I still think if you put these two guys in the ring with each other, the bad blood is gonna come back. I mean, there's still two grown. It's still two grown men. It's still two grown egos, two championship egos, and there's still unfinished business in that ring from the last time they were in there together. I mean, it can be all love for the guys. I mean, bro, I've, I've I come from a culture of, of gym wars where you know be all love outside outside, but we get in there and start sparring, and you're trying to take each other's heads off. And and if somebody's hurting, you're still trying to knock them out even while you're sparring. That, that was a culture of boxing I came from. It's a culture of boxing I grew up in, but so these guys came up in that same culture because they came up before me. So they, they 100% they're going to try to take each other's heads off and add to the fact that there is, you know, innate, subtle, still bad blood when you put them in a ring with each other, no matter how much respect there is, no matter how much love there is for each other outside the ring. I don't know, man. I, I think it's kind of crazy, man. I don't know. It's, it's, like, it's, I'm, it's, I'm torn about one. this fight. I'm torn as well. I'm torn. It's, it's just because, you know, you always want to see Mike Tyson and Evander Holyfield in, a, in the ring. However, I'm thinking maybe more about their rage and, and the fact that perhaps when you take a big shot or a shot at all at this age, you know, that can that can stay with you for the rest of your life. Now, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit yeah. too sentimental. Yeah, you, but you weren't made to to take those kind of punches at that age, for sure. Weren't made those kind of take those kind of punches at all, but especially at that age. You know the ironic thing, Dan? I say, I'll tell you something like this. It's weird because 30 years ago, in 1991, early 1991 was supposed to be the first Tyson Holyfield fight, right? And then Tyson went to jail and it never happened. They made posters for that fight. The posters still exist. You can still find them somewhere, you know, or you can see the picture of it online. The first Tyson Holyfield fight that never happened was the one in early 91, right? Bro, we're 30 years later. We're here, we're here 30 years later. And the way Tyson sold that last pay-per-view with Roy Jones, which is just an exhibition, that sold more than most boxing fights sell. 
Like, can you still imagine 30 years later, Tyson Holyfield might still be the biggest fight in boxing? I don't know if that's good or bad for boxing. You know, that we're in 2021, and if you make Tyson Holyfield three, it might be the most talked about fight in boxing. I don't know if that's good or bad, but, I mean, it's good for them. But it's crazy, because I can remember the first, the first Tyson Holyfield fight being discussed it was signed, it was ready to be delivered, and then the, the Tyson's jail term happened, and then so we were delayed another five years. But it's, it's kind of ironic, right? It's kind of crazy. It is. It is. It's crazy. It's crazy. Another comeback on the cards this week is Oscar De La Hoya. He said he's going to be making his comeback July 3rd. Is everyone just seeing the YouTube <laughs> fighters and being like, nah, I want in. I want in. This is my sport. I belong here. I'm doing what I want. You've got to make us. You got to make things somewhat competitive. So you've got to kind of balance the, the scales of justice, so to speak, right? So, so these ex championship fighters. There's a generation that I've only heard about them and not and not seen them fight, right? So, so there there's a curiosity about them, and there's always something pulling at you to bring you back. There always is. As an ex fighter, there's always something, and you've always got. There's there are certain days where you've just got to resist it completely. Because certain days you just get up and you're like, man, I really. Really want to hear that crowd. I really want to fight again. You know, like it's just a weird thing as, as a fighter. You always have that that subtle urge in you, and some days are stronger than others. But while back in the day, you had guys randomly making comebacks and getting themselves hurt. You know, like uh, Sugar Ray Leonard did it, for example. You know, he he came back a couple of times after retirement. In those times, you didn't have YouTube guys that you could put, match yourself up against. So you didn't have MMA guys that you know, where striking is like a secondary skill to them and, and grappling is their main skill. So, therefore, you can get in there with one of these MMA guys, even if they're in their prime, and you'll still kind of have an advantage. You can still call it even, even if you're past your prime. So, back then, Ray Leonard had to do it against Camacho. He had to do it against Terry Norris. You know, it, it just didn't go well. So, from that perspective, that urge for these guys to come back is kind of better because you can get... And a random MMA guy who probably is not going to be on your level, but he'll sell like he's on your level, you know, or, or you can get a YouTuber who is not on your level, but he'll sell like he's on your level, you know? So, so now that urge is even more pulling at you because now it's like, oh, wow. I mean, to your, you'll convince yourself that it's not a risk. You'll convince yourself now for sure because now you're not fighting a professional fighter. You know, you're like, oh man, or you're not fighting a professional boxer. So you'll convince yourself a little more easily. And you still got it. You always kind of still got it. You don't have it like you did before, but you always kind of still got it. And there's always going to be a curiosity if you were a world-class champion like De La Hoya, like a Tyson, like those guys. So, It's true. He, he's, been, he's been retired for 13 years. He's 48 years old. He still stayed in the sport, stayed in relative shape. I, I don't imagine it would take him, you know, um, too long to get back in, in some kind of fighting shape. Also, Savage, I'll tell you something else. If you're talking about it and if you've announced it, the odds are you've probably already started training. It's When these announcements kind of come, they they don't come where, like, the guy woke up in the morning and he decided he's going to fight. He probably was hitting the bag, started working out a little bit, felt kind of good, and was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a shot again, you know? So when Oscar announced it this week, it's probably because he's been training already. I would have to assume that. Cause I, I mean, I, just speaking from a logical point of view of a, of a fighter. It's talks of Triller. Hosting it, you yeah. know, we spoke about Triller not that long ago. <laughs> Triller's it looks the like they're here to stay. Yeah, Triller's coming in from a different angle. They're coming in, they're not trying to compete boxing for boxing. They're trying to compete 
boxing entertainment for boxing, you know? And then, and so they're thinking, they're like the outside the box thinkers that maybe boxing needed. You know, who knows? You know, Triller has gotten nothing but great views so far. But again, they, they legitimize themselves by getting the, by getting the Telfimo versus Cambosos fight. That legitimizes them as, as, as you, to, to still to the, to the pure, to the pure blooded bo uh, boxing fans, you know, to the, 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 the hardcore boxing fans. But at the same time, you still can. You're still pulling all the all the crossover fans, all the casuals with these uh, YouTube guys, with these retired champions that have already crossed over past the boxing fame and into uh, inter international stardom. So you've uh, you've got uh, you've got a good combination there with Triller. They're, they're, they they I think they've they've figured it out. They've got it figured out pretty well. So let's see if it they continues. may as well just just call it a day and and make Oscar De La Hoya versus Mayweather two. Yeah, <laughs> or, may as or, well. Or, yeah, you mean at this point you got a lot to pick out. You you can bring back Felix Trinidad. You can bring back a lot of guys. <laughs> you know, the first one with Oscar and Trinidad was a kind of a dud. So maybe give them a chance to do it again under better circumstances. You know, it's true. It's true. All right, we spoke about uh, Mike Tyson already. The UFC has their very own Mike Tyson, Francis Ngannou. I'm not sure if I'm butchering his name. Every time I hear his name, I hear it slightly li differently. But it doesn't really matter what his name is. That man hits hard. I'll tell you how hard. Apparently, it is as hard as a as a Ford Escort hitting you at max speed. I don't know what that feels like, but it can't feel healthy. Yeah, no, nah, it's not good. But what, 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 who comes up with the with that logic? A Ford well, Escort. They tested it. He he's the hardest puncher ever recorded in any combat sport. And is that on a on a punching bag or is that on an opponent? Because you know when you hit those 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 machines and they weigh how much yeah. weight is on your shot, you never actually land a punch like that in a fight. You never land a punch like that in a fight. So yeah. so so unless you sucker punch somebody, but, 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 I mean, <laughs> but it means he, he's potentially hitting you yes, as yeah. hard as a Ford Escort at max speed. Yes, but here's the other side of that. If and I'm only playing devil's advocate here. If you throw that hard or at any point in a fight and the odds are you're going to miss, you're also going to pay a price for missing against a professional fighter, which then makes mm -hmm. you not throw as hard anymore. And now you're not punching as hard, but you're still obviously heavy-handed enough. So I agree, Ngannou is heavy-handed. I've seen a couple of his fights. He's a heavy-handed guy. And, and obviously Saturday night he, got, he, uh, he undid the Miocic loss, right? Because Miocic had beaten him before. And I remember that fight. And he had... Basically eliminated the striking ability of 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 Ngannou in the first fight. So credit to him for making the adjustments here in the, in this uh, in the rematch. I never want to get hit that hard. No. Never. I'm gonna <laughs> no. put that out there for now. I'll watch it on TV. <laughs> I'd rather the Ford Escort if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> no matter how no matter how slow the Ford Escort's going. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, offense. exactly. <laughs> top speed of a Ford Escort. Is that like an oxymoron? A top speed of a Ford Escort. <laughs> I remember they used to have um like special ones that they had like a a big spoiler on it. I forgot what they were called. Cosworth you, or something like that. You souped them up. You souped them up. Yeah. For the Le Mans. Crazy. Are those the Le Mans cars? <laughs> the Le Mans 24-hour races. All right. Jake Paul versus Ben Askren um, is coming up. They had a press conference. It, it seemed like... There was a little bit of needle. You can never really tell how much of it is, is legitimate and how much is for show and trying to build up the fight. But it does feel like Jake Paul is getting under his skin. Gets under most people's skin, to be. He gets under mine. But it, it, it's, it's just one of those um, 
you know, things where the press conference can can Ben Askin do anything at the moment with with Jake Paul, seeing as this is this is his world, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I I felt like honestly, I don't know if the pressure is on Askren from Jake Paul, so to speak. I don't I don't because Askren has been a fighter, so I don't think he's as nervous as uh say like a Nate Robinson. Nate Robinson is a very good athlete, but he looked totally out of his element because he just looked so scared in the ring. It was just. It was, it was, uh, he looked petrified, and that and those nerves sh- showed in his performance. But Askren's been a fighter. It may not be under these circumstances, but he's been a fighter. So I think psychologically, he has a calmer demeanor about him in, in this regard, even if he's out of his element. But he's not going to be as nervy. So I didn't see <clears throat> so much Askren being nervy. I thought Askren was kind of just like, whatever, you know, like that you could tell by the mush he gave, he gave, uh, Jake Paul, when he was walking away, like, all right, this is like clown stuff, you know. Uh, we're just going to get in there and fight when it comes time to. And Paul, I mean, Paul reacted the way he's supposed to react there. And I, and Paul's selling the fight and Paul's doing well. But I actually felt like a little bit like Paul was the one with the nerves, you know. And and, and, and I picked Paul to win the fight. But here's where I'm, I'm, I'm going to describe here. It was almost like he felt like he, he felt uncomfortable with how Askren was just so calm about that like mushed him and kind of walked yeah. away like whatever and yeah you hit him hit him with that little body shot um uh, body shot smack but then he was like come on come on come on come on like it was almost you know like i don't i'm not saying jake paul is scared of asking but here's what i'm saying you know like when you're in school and like everybody's holding the guy back and, and then he says come on come on come on but when he was face to face with the guy he didn't do anything you know like mm-hmm. at that point asking is 20 feet away and you're broken up and you, nobody's gonna come on anymore so you gotta tell him like you gotta tell him more like i'm fighting and i'm gonna kick your ass or on this Personally, me, I throw smacks. Like, I would, if 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 Asker would have done that, I would have smacked him in his face. <laughs> you know, but not, I mean, not in his stomach. It was a body shot. But, Poor body shot, anyway. To be yeah, fair. It was, it's all for show, anyway. So you don't want to throw a punch because then you can knock a tooth out or break a nose and you don't get the fight. So you never want to throw. But a, a nice smack is always good. A nice smack is always good because it sets the tone, it sells well, and it's and you're not going to injure anybody to where the fight doesn't happen. Because, you know, let's face it, you want the fight to happen, you want to make the money, right? So. So he didn't do that. He smacked him in his stomach and he pushed him. But but then he was like, "Come on, come on!" Like at that you, at that point, you lost the chance to come on, come on. You gotta yeah, say something. You gotta, you gotta say something more clever. And Jake Paul is not a, an unclever guy. Jake Paul is a very clever guy. So the fact that he couldn't figure out something, and maybe I'm looking too deep into it, the fact that he couldn't say something more clever in that moment, besides "Come on, come on," if it almost felt like he was the one who had some nerves. You know what I mean? It almost felt like. You know, it almost felt like it, it got to him a little bit. You know, so so it was a uh, it, it was a uh, it was a weird little exchange in that way. I still think when it comes to striking, Askren is out of his element, um, even against uh, a guy who's still a relative beginner in Paul. But Paul has gotten better. I mean, Paul has been boxing for a couple of years now, so I would still be surprised if Askren wins the fight. But it's going to be interesting from a psychological perspective how Jake Paul now approaches the fight against a guy who has done combat before. So you're not going to have Askren across the ring from you doubting himself so to speak until you bring the doubt in him don't get me wrong a couple yeah. of good shots on your chin doubt will seep in as i said with pavekin once he got hit with that big right hand from white so so paul still has the potential to create the doubt in Askren by by hit landing some good shots early in that fight and and dictating the tone the tempo and the tone with his boxing ability that Askren does not have but he's gonna have to convince Askren of that with some good landed shots. Askren is not already going to be convinced before the bell rings like Nate Robinson was and like the YouTube guy was before. Now, do I think Jake Paul can do that? Yeah, I think Jake Paul's got a good trainer. I think BJ Flores is a a right guy for uh, for Jake Paul for a lot of reasons. And I think he's going to have to probably understand that psychology in round one. But I think 
from a skill to skill perspective, we're boxing here. I don't think Askren is on the level of Paul, but we'll find out. We've seen stranger things. Uh, the WBC has ordered Ryan Garcia against Javier Fortuna. A lot of people are like, oh, you know, they, they, they wanted a big fight. They wanted Devin Haney. Are we disappointed? Or does this make sense to you, you know, going going this way? Nah, I don't think it's disappointing. Has Devin Haney beaten an Javier Fortuna yet? I don't think so. Devin Haney's not even fought a guy on the level of Javier Fortuna yet. So I don't understand what the problem is. I mean, people jump on these hype trains and, like, all of a sudden they start to see things that they that aren't even real. Haney's a good fighter. Fortuna is, is it, a guy who's hard to look good at. Fortuna, he's at the risk with Fortuna. Let me play devil's advocate. Go ahead. Is it because Ryan Garcia seems to want a world title and he is now mandatory for Devin Haney's and he doesn't, he's not going after it? Mm-hmm. Well, it's possible. But again, if you, the B titles don't really count, you know? So like I said earlier, I mean, that, so if you hold yourself to a higher standard, I think if Garcia was the mandatory for Teofimo Lopez's WBC title and, and the rest of the world title that Teofimo has, and then he wasn't going after it, then okay, you'd say, okay, you know what, they're they're legitimately, you know, pushing him aside. But I mean, for me, it's kind of weird because, and again, I, I think Haney has potential to develop into a good fighter. I do. He's got, you know, he's got skills. He's he's got a, a nice, per- charismatic personality, and uh, you know, he's he's got a a good mixture of of promotability, but. I don't understand what the where these rumors go off and starting like like where people first said it was Lomachenko that didn't send back a signed contract to fight Haney, like and then uh, and now people are saying Ryan Garcia is avoiding Haney, bro. Haney hasn't even fought the guy who cashes my check at the bank yet, and 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 and. and and you can't tell me, and not, it's not a knock on him. Here's the thing: people are gonna say, "Oh, he pulled his head." No, it's not. It's not hating, because he's part. It's part for the course for his development. But when you start to make like guys who've fought on levels and levels on, of, of of much different levels than any of the opponents that he's beaten so far are avoiding him, now you start to sound a little bit ridiculous, even stupid. You know, so so I don't know that. Garcia and Haney not fighting right now is is anybody really avoiding one another? I I think Fortuna is actually a tricky opponent. I don't think Haney has even fought a guy on the level of Fortuna. Haney's fought decent opposition. Some some of them have been the guy who doesn't cash the check. The other ones, couple one or two guys have been decent, but they've still not been on the level of even Javier Fortuna. Javier Fortuna is the kind of guy where even if you beat him, it's not an easy fight. It's not an easy fight. Javier Fortuna is awkward. He's got this deceptive power. He's got this weird uh, southpaw. Uh, way of him boxing it's a he's not an easy guy to look good against so Garcia may win the fight and not even look good and then where you go you know what I'm saying now all of a sudden you're gonna you're gonna deal with the detractors personally me personally me I would have matched him with Haney before Fortuna because at least if you lose to Haney people are talking about Haney and if you beat Haney people are talking about Haney Fortuna is, is a well, they're young right so yeah yeah surely yeah. it can it can marinate yeah, and, come and, 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 and for that reason, you can let it build up to more money later. But in that case, then nobody should be complaining, right? Because then yeah. we know what's going on, right? But Fortuna's it's the kind of guy. Fortuna, yeah, but Fortuna's the kind of guy that, Fortuna's the kind of guy that, you know, you can make you look bad. You know, even if you beat him, you can make you look bad. And he might beat you. You know what I mean? He's, Fortuna's, you know, he's, he's a durable guy and he's shown himself to be a, a, a quality world-class fighter. Even if he's a little on the small side. Uh, in this fight, I think his best weight is probably at 130, but he's 40 even as high as 140, I think, you know, so, so, uh, uh, 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have, a, I don't knock the fight, but I, of course, a lot of Fortuna fights tend to be end up being ugly, so it may not be the most pretty and aesthetically pleasing fight to watch. So, which is why, if you have Ryan Garcia, it's it's a, it's not it's not a great fight, uh, marketability wise, unless he blows out Fortuna, which nobody's done. So, it's uh, the way I'm looking at it is, if if he can look good, here. It would be like when Oscar was coming up the ladder and he knocked out Jorge Paez. You know, Paez was an ex-champion. Uh, he's a little bit faded, shorter, and had this wild, wild style about him. But he was had been world class at one time, and was still relatively good. And Oscar completely blew him out of the water. And I don't think it's coincidence that Garcia is mad. It's promoted by Oscar, so maybe they're looking at Fortuna like, like Ryan's Maromero Paez, like Jorge Paez, like Ryan's version of Jorge Paez, and. And um, and if they can get him out like this in style, where nobody's done that yet, then um, you know it's uh, it, it's it's it ups his marketability. We'll see. Right, let's have a look at what's coming up. We have Carl Frampton, who is trying to become a free weight world champion when he takes on Jamel Herring um, for the WBO super heavy uh, super featherweight championship. It's a tough fight, you know. This is we've probably seen the the, the best of Carl Frampton. This is. Uh, a shot at redemption almost you know it's him trying to get his name back on the map uh, and and get another world title after kind of being out of the mix for a little bit yeah yeah he's been out of the mix a little bit but but I think if you're gonna go after a 130 pound champion Herring's probably your guy and that's and that's not a knock on Herring it's just the 130 pounds has got some pretty solid champions there um, but I'll say this Herring is a guy who also has shown some improvements uh, after early in his career, I remember him, you know, being an ex-Olympian, but I wasn't really too impressed with him uh, as, as an ex-Olympian. Uh, I was impressed with his story, you know, ex-Marine, uh, Long Island guy from New York, uh, so, you know, obviously a, a guy that for me it's easy to root for. But at the same time, he um, he uh, wasn't as impressive as maybe some of his Olympic teammates had been, you know. But little by little, he got it together. Uh, he made some improvements, made some key adjustments, and he and he's been managed to become a world champion. Now, does he have the ability to become a dominant world champion or be a dominant world champion? I don't think so. I th but I think he's you know he's he's solidified himself and he's you know he's he's got his stamp. He's he's won his world championship. But if there's a guy to go after for Frampton, I think it's Herring. And so um, I I think this fight is a uh, this fight is. You know, it's 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 a tough one to pick, man. I don't I don't I don't I don't necessarily think Frampton doesn't win this fight. You know, I I think Frampton has a very good chance to win this fight. Um, if there's any bit of the Frampton that we know left, um, Herring is gonna be the guy he is. He's solid. He's um, he's fundamentally he's he's good, and he and I think he's with uh, Crawford's trainer. I forget his name, but he's made some really good improvements with that team. You know, with the Crawford team and the championship team around him. But but having said that, um. It would still be this would be his biggest win. I don't think that Herring has has fought a guy and or, or would, has beaten a guy on the level of Frampton. And I still think Frampton still has enough left to where, if Herring beats even this version of Frampton, I'll be even more impressed with him than than I had been. And once I saw him make the adjustments he made in his career, because right now, if I had to just pick something, I'd say it's fifty fifty, maybe fifty five forty five in favor of Frampton. That close. Yeah, yeah. I the think, thing I think is, I mean, Fr Frampton is, is a top top fighter. You know, I'm not sure where he ranks uh, in, in terms of uh, all time Irish fighters, but he's definitely going to be up there. He's a two weight world champion, um, technically very good, big puncher. I think what a lot of people have have noticed with him, and and you know, it's probably highlighted in the Josh Warrington fight, 
is his output. You know, he, he likes to fight at his pace. It, it looks beautiful, but sometimes when you're up against, you know, a rough and ready uh, fighter who's just willing to get into the trenches and, and not let you relax. But that's that intensity type of fight, and Jamel doesn't fight that kind of fight. You know, that's the kind of fight that gets away from you as you get a little older is the intensity kind of fight where you just can't, keep up that way you know Warrington was a hungry guy Warrington was a guy who at that time who just that's the way he was fighting you know and so an older guy can kind of become uh, inundated and overwhelmed uh, and not that Frampton's old old but he was you know he's past that point in his career where he's fighting those kind of fights you know um, I think Herring is also past that point in his career where he's fighting those kind of fights you know so so I think from a technical perspective it's technical to technical um, I, I, I give Frampton a, a good chance here I, I, I probably pick him Top fighters, a lot, a lot of Irish uh, fighters, you know. Even boxer had uh, Stephen Donnelly, who uh, was a, an Olympian, UB5 winner. I don't know what it is about that, that nation, but they just fight. And they support. Yeah, <laughs> they support. They, they always had a big support. fan base. All right. On this day, March 31st, Ken Norton gave Muhammad Ali, the great Muhammad Ali, his second professional loss, breaking his jaw in the process. Do you remember any big injuries when you're having to fight through, you know, not, obviously, you, you know, fighting through pain is part of a, a, a boxer's job description. But I mean, anything that stands out in terms of anything broken, a hand, a jaw, and knowing that you have to see it through? Yeah, there's, uh, I think these things probably, I wouldn't say they're common in combat sports, but I do think they happen relatively often enough for people to have, have witnessed it happen. Um I broke my hand several times in different fights and had to figure out ways to get out of a fight with one handed. I had it happen to me many times, um, to the point where, by the time it started happening enough times, I was even calm. I was even calm uh, dealing with it. Like I would just know. I, I it got to the point where I knew the kind of pain I was having, whether it was a break or whether it was just bruising, just deep bruising and just pain. You know, and which still is tough to deal with. But I knew the kind of pain that was a break. That that's how often it would happen that I, 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 st I learned the difference. As a matter of fact, in my bare knuckle fight, I remember I t in the corner, I said it's broken. Yeah, I knew 100% it's broken because I knew the kind of pain that I had in my hand. It doesn't mean that the other kind of pain is not bothersome. It's very bothersome, but I could tell the difference. Now, having said that, I've dealt with that many times, and in the Miguel Cotto fight, I also broke my uh, orbital bone in my right eye. I have titanium underneath my right eye to this day, you know, from that fight. So, so um, again, you, part of the... Part of the uh, what, what, what is the word I'm looking for? Part of the work, work, work risk, I guess, you know, that uh, you take on when you have a, a, a career like this. Yeah, is it like almost a, a battle between your your body and your brain at that point? Kind of saying, listen, like, one's basically screaming at you, listen, my hand hurts, my head hurts, my eye hurts, my eye's gone. Um, and, your, and your brain's obviously saying, we're staying, you know, we've got... <laughs> What are we, what are we gonna do? Yeah, it's a weird psychological battle. It's, 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 and it's constantly happening in your mind. Like, it, it, within the round, you're fighting yourself and you're fighting the opponent. You know, you're in the corner, you're fighting yourself and you're fighting the opponent. Once you are injured in a fight, and you've got to, and you, but you want to win so badly, because it, because to keep going with an injury, you've got to have that innate desire to win so badly. Because there, you see guys quitting with injuries, and I don't knock them, but that means the desire to win left them once they got injured you know when you when you want to win so badly that you're willing to continue despite uh, a severe injury that will debilitate you in the fight 
and still risk, you know, it'll risk you because you have that injury, it'll risk you getting beaten up more if you continue to fight with that injury and you'll still do it. You then you have a, a, a special kind of desire to uh, to win the fight, and uh, that's what makes a fighter. Not just a pretty face, he is tough, tough stuff. And that is all we have this week. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, like, comment, subscribe. Give us questions, not just, you know, the, the average questions. Give us questions that you really want to hear, not the questions that everyone seems to, to ask about world championships and blah, blah, blah. Ask him serious things, you know. He, wants it. he can speak for days, as you can see. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, we are out for this week. Goodbye. Yes, people, I am Savage Dan. I'm Holly Malanaji. You are watching Mouthpiece, the official boxer podcast. We are two of the most knowledgeable, two of the most charismatic, biggest personality guys in boxing. And we are two of the coolest cats talking about this <laughs> <sport> today. <laughs>